Welcome to TV Talk, the podcast about television, over at theworkprint.com. Hi, and welcome to the Workprints TV Talk, episode 18. Uh, today's episode is going to be on Neon Genesis Evangelion, an anime from the mid-90s that actually debuted on Netflix, uh, I think around like late June-ish or so. Uh, I'm your host, Christian, and with me today is my good friend, Dr. John. Hi. <laughs> and uh, John and I will be talking about Evangelion, and uh, just throwing it out there for people who listen to the podcast, this is a series that I, and I know John, feel so passionate about this was like a big one for me <laughs> back in my early college days and i was like around 19 when they used to air the episodes on adult swim um the fact that netflix got it was kind of a big deal for the industry because i think netflix needed like a really big anime name and the fact that they got ava a title and like a franchise that was very anal about distributing onto digital streaming platforms beyond like your typical like anime version ones, but even then, not really, because they wanted DVD sales. Um, yeah, so Evangelion, it's a, it's kind of a big deal because uh, it was a, it was a big uh, anime in the mid '90s that kind of redefined uh, what a lot of the robot, what are they called, like ang- the those, giant robot. Yeah, the giant this, robot. This is basically how. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, like combat things. So today we're gonna talk about uh, the 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 world, the characters. And then, more importantly, since uh, John's here, we're going to talk about the psychology behind it, particularly like a lot of the psychoanalytic and Freudian-type themes. Um, definitely was a big influence on this series. Yeah. Um, let's just start t- with the show. All right, so... If well, you... actually, should I... How much should I say about myself? Um, that's pretty much all most people give, but you are more than welcome to talk as well, much as you I do feel like I should give a little bit of background to sort of legitimate give some legitimacy to this. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I respect that, dude. A lot of people um, are like, yeah, I'm just going to talk about what I want to talk, and that's it. And then they'll give, I like, maybe a Twitter handle. That's a lot of what you get um, yeah. everywhere these days. Um, but uh, so it's depending on, like, what you're training or, or learning is, you can give a little bit of a more informed perspective along certain lines. Yeah. Um... So I'll just I'll just put it out there right now. Uh, I am a doctor of psychology. I have my doctorate, my degree. I went through grad school. Um, I'm not licensed yet because I'm in the middle of my training, like post doctoral, postgraduate training. You have to undergo almost everywhere, as far yeah. as I know, to uh, to get uh, enough hours of experience before they can they can let you get licensed. So. That's kind of where I am um, these days. It wasn't a major part of my training, but these days I am working with a lot of people who are more Freudians, <laughs> um, and that's kind of just that's right up Evangelion's alley. Yes, <laughs> this is kind of part of why I was asked to uh, to present here. What do you thought? Not um, part of the reason. It's like the whole reason I asked you to come. Oh. <laughs> well, besides the fact that you're also like one of the biggest anime fans that I, I've ever met in my life. So yeah. Uh, well, it, it might have been more earlier on. There was a time I had more. There was there were years ago I had more time to devote to this stuff when I was learning all kinds of things about the industry and the background, and now it's like. Full-time work weeks and talking to patients all the time. You yeah. Time. 
I know. But um, I feel like I can at least give some somewhat informed perspective on the back on the, some of the psychology background of Evangelion. But uh, cool. uh, why don't we talk a little bit more about what the show is for those viewers who haven't seen it? And, yeah, 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 absolutely. So uh, the first, I'll talk about the first fifteen. You can talk about the second half since that's when it really gets to the serious stuff. Okay. Um, the first fifteen episodes, roughly, are. Uh, basically a bunch of kids getting recruited into this organization, uh, trying to fight these giant monsters that they call angels. Uh, they keep coming to the world and, uh, attacking, uh, they, uh, the main character, Shinji, is recruited by, I think his father, uh, Gen- Genji? Gendo. Gendo, thank you. Wow. (laughs) Gendo. And uh, they don't really have the best relationship, per se. Gendo really hasn't played much of a role in his life whatsoever. Uh, Shinji is called in to pilot uh, Eva Unit 1. And uh, for some mysterious reason, since this is still the spoiler-free part, uh, he's pretty good at it, which you kind of figure out a little bit later. But really, the first 15 episodes are your typical, you know, kids getting called in to fight giant monsters using these really epic robots. And there's a lot of a lot of action, a lot of character development. It, it's a little bit of a somber piece, though, because Shinji himself is, like, introverted as they come. Um, mm-hmm. And you'll you'll delve into that more. But, yeah, the, fir- the first 15 episodes are really what you'd expect from a giant uh, mech battle anime type thing. Yeah. Uh, first, yeah. R- yeah, roughly the first 13 to 15-ish. Yeah. Um, did we get into spoiler territory now, or...? Um, <laughs> I was gonna try to give it five more minutes. Okay. I usually try to do, like, ten minutes of spoiler-free. Alright, well, maybe we should stuff. talk... We'll give more of a character background, then. Huh? Yes, yes, let's um, totally do that, yeah. So, we talked about Shinji. Uh, who else we got? I do want to point out one thing. Maybe we'll talk a little bit more about it later, but, um, Shinji's family name is Ikari, which is the Japanese word for anger. <laughs> that explains so much. And this is this is the reason I asked you to come on here because it's stuff like that that I had no idea. Well, I, I don't. Uh, I don't. Uh, that's a little bit of offhand knowledge for me that I just happen to know. A lot of the characters actually are, like named after battleships and stuff because it was in the interests of the creators. That's, and that's cool. not maybe even the Akari is probably even a battleship for all I know. <laughs> but I thought that particular one might have a little more meaning to it. Well, it makes sense because even in the first episode, oh, I don't want to say too much. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> it it watch it, you'll understand. Yes, mm. audience guests. That was weird. Uh, so for the later or for the characters, I should say. Uh, um, who else do we have? Okay. We have Ray. We have Oscar. We yes. have. Uh, oh, Oh, uh, where do I start? Ray. Well, let's do with the pilot since since we started with Shinji. Shinji's recruited into this agency, Nerve, mm-hmm. um, because well, partly because he's the son of the director. Really, it's yeah. like it's like nepotism. People accuse. I think people brought up. So weren't their background characters said something about that? Yeah, it's um, subtly there. But actually, there's there's more to it than that. Um. That we can't really talk, discuss. Yeah. But, yeah, he, he and his father have this really strained relationship because after his mom passed away, his dad basically, uh, what did he do, send him to a relative or something? I think he was living with an aunt for a good while. Yeah, he just sent him away. And it was Wanted like, nothing to do with and him. He was really young at the time. I want to say he maybe he was like three years old or something like that, two or three. Yeah. Um... 
And now he's calling him back in because he needs his son to be the pilot for this giant robot. Yeah. So there's a lot of conflict. Not most of it isn't like uh, overtly stated, but there's a lot of conflict, understated conflict between the characters regarding Shinji being a useful or wanted, and this that has a lot to do with informing his personality. Yeah, and then with the series itself, uh, the I could say the metaphor for the series is the hedgehog dilemma, but we'll get into that later. Oh, they brought that up pretty early in the show. Yeah, they did. Uh, yeah. yeah, so that's not too much of a spoiler. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the second pilot we meet is Ray, and she's actually been a pilot before Shinji. Yeah. Um, but uh, what is it that the first episode kind of opens up with the first angels attack though so she's only been I guess a test pilot yes up to that point but she's already grievously wounded by some accident that yeah happened. her like eyes and like a horrific eye patch and she's just bleeding everywhere it's gross um, yeah and she she drives yeah. a unit zero the prototype unit yes which it makes yeah. sense given that she's the prototype pilot mm. and we get we find out more about that backstory in a few um <laughs> yeah yeah ray doesn't have really family around and there are good reasons for that too yeah. she's like the chillest of the chill though she doesn't care she, nothing bothers her but um, like she's not passionate about I mean, well either. you said you said shinji was introverted ray is like ray is like yeah she's nearly autistic in some way yeah but um but she really does have an emotional life it's kind of cut off and, and it sort of builds itself up across the series. Yeah. Um, where you most see it early on, and which is another point of character conflict, is that she seems to have a rather positive relationship with Shinji's dad. Yeah. You know, the one that he doesn't have. <laughs> which is upsetting for Shinji, obviously, because it's like, why does he care about her but not me? I'm your actual son! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, Asuka. Asuka. The third pilot's Asuka, and she is half Japanese and half German. And uh, the, these angel attacks are all occurring in, like... Tokyo 3. Tokyo 3. It's not even Tokyo 2. Yeah. It's Tokyo 3. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, in the background of the story, there was this huge disaster that affected the climate all over the planet and yeah. kind of has messed up. Yeah. Uh, like, most of Japan is underwater now, which is a common thing in these disaster anime. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Apparently, this all happened. This catastrophe. The first catastrophe was the year two thousand, and so this story actually takes place in twenty fifteen, in an alternate twenty fifteen. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have to be at this point. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to twenty fifteen. Where are hoverboards and holographic movie ads? Yeah, right. The uh, uh, what's it? Uh, Back to the Future lied to me. Yeah. <laughs> um. Uh, Oscar. I'm going to throw a psych term out there already. She is very histrionic. Her whole thing is about getting attention. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll go deeper into that later, but she's basically a very boisterous, loud, needy person uh, who's one of the good guys, but sometimes can come across very antagonistically toward the other characters and she's a whole source of conflict in herself at the same time she kind of becomes shinji's um what's it like sexual awakening she she is an object of shinji's affection hands down without spoilers that's it and speaking of which we've 
officially past the spoiler section. There are definitely other characters too, but the main three we'll pilots are. Yeah, we'll get. <laughs> we're definitely gonna get into them right now. But for those listening, we're gonna cut off the spoiler-free section here. Uh, from here on out, we'll be talking. Well, let's a let's bit say more. like um, people who aren't familiar with this show or who might be interested or who maybe aren't even that interested in anime. Why should they watch this? Oh, okay. Um, uh, I think I mentioned it before. Groundbreaking. Uh, the, the artwork still well, it holds definitely, up. It definitely changed the giant robot genre. Yeah, definitely. Um, compared to most of the giant robot stuff that came before, it was a lot more fluid and dynamic in its animation. And yes. in its, in its um, depiction of the robots themselves, they are very much unlike the... Uh, well, if you could compare it to maybe something like Big O, which kind of returns to that classic route, yeah. there is... You know the the big the big O is kind of that class. He's like giant Robo. He's he's just a huge heavy thing, full of armaments, and um, the Evangelians are much more human like and fluid in their movements. Absolutely, and then uh, more than anything else, though, of course, psychology. Yes, the, um, the depth the, of the characters and the exploration of their psyches. Yeah. And, um, the the show kind of goes into some odd territory near the end. It's all about it, intimacy, man. It's all about willingness to like connect with mm. people without the spoilers. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it, these these might be the most unusual final two episodes you will ever see in any show. They're so different from the show. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, and for those listening, um, don't just watch the the actual. Uh, on Netflix, yes, they have the original anime, but they also have Death and Rebirth and the End of Evangelion. You ha- should probably watch those two after you watch the original run, because those yeah. are like the real ending and a, and a quick cut of the well, entire it's not, series. It's not called Death and Rebirth anymore, and I couldn't make sense of all the releases of it. Yeah, it's confusing. There's a lot of Ava guys. That's why we're t- talking about it because there's, the, there's a lot of fans. The what what we're calling death and rebirth. It's there's this thing animes do sometimes where they will, if it's a particularly popular show, they'll like cobble together a movie out of, uh, out of episodes, important scenes, and put them all together into a movie. And um, sometimes there will be new footage involved. Um, and, but Death and Rebirth was a, is a bit different than that because it's almost like a recap. It's not yes. just it's not just these are the highlights. It's more like this is a recap to prepare you for our real ending. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's exactly and, what they did. By the way, yeah, yeah. I love that you mentioned that. And it's <sighs> funny too because if you if you really just want to save time, you could technically just watch Death and Rebirth and then the end of Apex Killian. But it won't it won't have as much of an impact if you do. No, that. it's true. It yeah. won't have as much of an impact yeah. as Third Impact. which all right so now that we mentioned that we're definitely entering territory here so hopefully we're gonna say 15 minutes this time around we we, will make the cutoff there all right so for those tuning in uh for those listening from here on out all spoilers we're just gonna talk straight up ava uh and break it down and break down the psychology uh yeah let's go for it okay all right so what do we there's so there's so much to unpack man (laughs) yeah uh um well, well, when you first proposed this meeting to me, you wanted to talk more about trauma. Um, yeah, well, because, yeah, yeah, that's very heavily in the show. And uh, I said, I said, I think I, I might be, at this point in my career, I might be able to talk more about, like, the Freud influences. This is just a side note, but, um, uh, 
You ever see Gunbuster? No. What's okay. uh, what's that? Um, well, the original title is like Aim for the Top, and it's like kind of a parody, but at the same time, if it's, is it is its own unique giant robot work that these people made like a decade before Evangelion. And I have to, I regret to say, I only saw the theatrical cut of it, which is one of those compilation films I mentioned earlier. Yeah, yeah. Um, it started out as a six-episode miniseries um, about these girls who have to go into space and fight an alien invasion, and it deals a lot with, um, like, how the live their lives change compared to the lives of other people when their growth is slowed down by their constant exposure to faster than light travel or whatever yeah yeah um there's a character in that film in that series called Jung Freud <laughs> wow that's not subtle at all and yeah no it isn't if any of you are familiar with uh, psychology Freud and Jung are two of the biggest names in psychoanalysis and yeah. psychodynamic forms of therapy that branched off of it. Um, so, they're wearing their influences on their sleeve. Yeah. Uh, when it comes to Evangelion, there are ways that the early on the show shows itself to already be different from what you might be expecting in a giant robot fighting monsters show. And then it quiets itself down. Mm-hmm. And it goes because they ran to... out of money. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Not yet. Not yet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess you could talk about that since you you're the one who taught me about that. So yeah. Uh, well, they definitely had had some budget stuff, but I don't know enough about the background of it. Okay. Anyway, anyway. Um, <laughs> what was I? It starts out like within the first few or like first five episodes there will be bits and pieces that are telling you about the bigger picture that's going on and the the direction that the show might go in but most of them are short subtle bits like when you see this you um what i can't remember now it was i think shinji saw like an or some organic part of one of the Avas when it was like regrowing or whatever. Yeah, uh, it was his unit. Yeah, it was, it, okay, it was Yeah, because the face, the face mask fell off and, and then you saw its eye. And it comes back later as like a nightmare and then you think, well, maybe he just had a nightmare. Yeah. But, well, it turns out later on this wasn't a nightmare but they kind of drop that stuff about five episodes in almost completely and it starts to look like just an episodic monster of the week type show yeah and then episode 14 the clip show kind of well, wasn't it wasn't actually a clip show it was it actually was, mostly part a of it was yeah and then they moved on from it they didn't waste their time on the whole episode just doing a clip show yeah but episode 14 comes around and they start dropping more hints freudian terminology starts to appear somebody says something about a distrudo yeah they didn't go deep into that i might have to give background on freudian psychoanalysis here um to, to inform us, man. Do okay, that. okay, it. I'll get started yeah. then. Um, real brief. Um, when Freud was originally training as a medical doctor, and he ended up in researching nervous diseases, he was working under this guy Charcot, at one, or studying under Charcot at one point. And Charcot was big on hip. He was a hypnotist. Uh, not like the show type hypnotist yeah. you see today. <laughs> of course, he was trying to study how to use hypnotism. Uh, how it, uh, like the ways that it affects um, people's consciousness and so on. And you might see there's a famous, if you try to look this guy up, C H A R C O T, there's a famous 
uh, uh, painting of him at one of his lectures where he's put someone into a hypnotic state. Um, but uh, Freud got into studying um, basically the mind and how the mind affects the body. And he's kind of the whole reason that we have... He, well, or he's one of the chief reasons that we have psychotherapy today because... Partly because he was such a prolific writer about it mm -hmm. that the more he uh, studied it, the more he wrote about it, and he put out so much work, and people were reading it all over the place, that he, he kind of built himself up this little institution. And uh, psychoanalysis is essentially the analysis of the soul, or, you know, going by the original Greek, I don't know how to pronounce it, People, it's called psuche, but I don't think that's right. Don't, don't worry about it. Don't worry about the pronunciation. We're just here um, for funsies and learning. Yeah, please let us it's, learn it's, more. It's, it's essentially analysis of the soul, but they stopped. Uh, these highly academic people weren't thinking about it in terms of soul, but the mind, yeah. like analysis of the mind. How does the mind work? At this point, we weren't really anywhere with neurology except the most basic. Oh, I can poke a frog here, and its leg will move. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And there's there's plenty to look into about that, but that's not the branch we're looking at. Freud started to develop, as he worked with his patients, he started to develop this, his theories of psychoanalysis. And um, one of the major uh, turning points was the talking cure, which came about as he treated um, these women with what they called hysteria, because at the time they saw it as a, a disease of uh, f women, and that it had to do with... Um, female hormones that were causing it yeah uh, as as freud worked with these hysteric women and hysteria isn't uh what you might think of it today it wasn't like that these were like women flipping out and uh how would you describe it <laughs> what hysteria today or back, back then um the the idea of a person in hysterics uh like, uncontrollable like high I want to say high-level moods, but that's not the right way. Are the right terminology? Um. Well, that might actually that might have been part of it. But a lot of the people he was working with were people who were suffering um, from uh, essentially parts of their bodies stopped working, and nobody could tell why. Yeah. Like um, I think one of the famous examples this brought up is this woman who couldn't move her arm anymore. Yeah, and it, as he worked with this woman and got her to talk more and more about her life and her symptoms he was able to reveal that she had a lot of anger toward her husband but she couldn't lift an arm against him oh. <laughs> and the symptom abated it, it disappeared yeah. like suddenly she could move her arm because she was able to express how angry she was <laughs> um, and so he started to develop the this idea of like psychological uh, causes to problems and write up prolifically about it and um, uh, so as he, he developed his theories he started to um, put them in terms of like well well, uh, how how do all these problems develop in the first place where are they all coming from and, um, at first a lot of his ideas were tied to abuse yeah um, so what what we call the seduction theory was Freud's first theory because 
he was able to find in the pasts of many of his patients that there had been some sort of abuse in the family history, physical abuse, sexual abuse. And I mean in the family history, like um, fathers, brothers, uncles, some, some uh, not to uh, put all the blame on the males, because definitely the there are cases where there's a female perpetrator. Um, and it, there, there were these different family like abuses committed by family members that had to be like shut up or quieted down and whether that was by the patient or by the patient's the demands of the patient's family um and so he developed the seduction theory which is that you know these particular traumas are behind most of the symptoms or have some involvement with the way that the symptoms form mm-hmm. um and he later abandoned that part partly I think partly because he found it unrealistic that it was so it would be so widespread in like Victorian era, yeah, yeah. Uh, Austria and and other northern European countries, um, um, and uh, he moved on to developing his Oedipal theory, which is more about how most of these um, most of the symptoms can be traced back to conflicts that are not. Like not essentially, they're not. Um, they're endemic to the to people. Like we all have this. We all go through these sort of uh, phases in our development, and if we don't manage to adaptively um, resolve these internal conflicts through our development, then they arise later on. Mm-hmm. And. Um, well, he's come under fire a lot for these these ideas. Yeah, um, definitely. Uh, both in his lifetime and beyond. And um, I wouldn't necessarily describe myself as um, very Freudian. Yeah. But I do think that there are, there's... Part of it has to do with the terminology involved, but Freud's uh, ideas... Like, the way he thought about sex and sexuality are actually very different from the way that we would typically think about it when we hear the term used. Um, Because to him, sex was a more widespread uh, phenomenon. Uh, And so when he talks about, like, ideas of, like, oh, infants have, like, a sexual life, he isn't necessarily talking about babies wanting to, you know, bone their mothers, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) As everyone who knows, that is the Oedipus complex. (laughs) It's probably what you've heard about Freud. That's not exactly what he's talking about. The Um, reason we are mentioning it, of course, is because we need to talk about edible complexes in this because it's very prevalent in in Ava. But anyway, yeah. Yeah, um... Uh, getting so getting back to that. Um, let's say he he has these stages, these stages of development for when you're like a, an infant through early childhood, and uh, that are all part of this Oedipal complex. And it starts out with the oral phase, and the oral phase is that your um your 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 entire existence is is basically around this need to feed, and yeah. when you are this tiny infant. I, I can kind of, I mean, I could see where he gets that from because when you are this tiny infant, most of your interactions with people yeah. have to do with wanting food, <laughs> mostly from the mom. Um, and then as you age up a little bit, you 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 know you can eat stuff that's not just milk. Uh, <laughs> uh, and then you go through the anal phase. The anal phase 
We don't have to go through all the phases, well, by the way. It is a little... Well, it, well okay. I, I don't know that all of them necessarily apply too deeply to Evangelion anyway, but yeah. I'll, I'll run through it quickly. There's the anal phase where you're basically... Your basic focus is around... Um, it's basically around potty training. These are the ages when kids are potty trained, usually. Um, and he saw it as this struggle between the infant wanting to like retain part of themselves and the parent trying to get them to lose their waist, you know, get, get rid of it. Mm -hmm. And, um, then there's the pleasure of defecation, whatever, whatever. Freud's theory, (laughs) you know, he goes anal, uh, oral, anal, phallic, where you discover your genitals for the first time, whatever. It's all pervy. It's all about (laughs) discovering pleasurable sensations. Yes. And, um, I guess in a sense making sense out of them or at least being uh, being uh, satisfied enough with them that you're able to move on uh, and you go into like then you go into this latency phase where you're like you're not so concerned with your genitals you're doing whatever else you're doing as a little kid until you reach adolescence and then you know all the high emotions come back mm-hmm. and that's also the period this is the the, the period when like um, most of uh most mental health people these days will say you can start to like diagnose disorders and it's kind of if you go by freud's thinking that's kind of because unresolved conflicts now spring back up yeah because because there's such high emotionality because there's a renewed interest in your sexual life if there's stuff you haven't resolved as a little kid then um all of that is coming back and you don't have like ways of coping with it Mm-hmm. Um, and speaking of that point, we're, um, our pilots are all 14. Yes, all three <laughs> pilots are pretty much entering, like, their teenagers. You know, biologically, years. one yeah. of them is not technically 14 years old. <laughs> oh. not. Oh, yeah, now that we're in the spoiler section, we can talk about it. So, uh, Ray, ooh, it's dark. Ray, Ray is 14, but there's... There's like multiple rays, basically. There, there's a bunch of fourteen-year-old rays because Ray's a clone yep. of Shinji's, uh, the remains of Shinji's dead mother. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, her, uh, his dad couldn't obviously get over some of the trauma, so to preserve her, he kept the little bits alive and made a bunch of of his of his dead wife uh, through this fourteen-year-old girl. Uh, and if that sounds disturbing to you, it should, because it, it's kind of weird, which is it explains why uh, Gendo is very close with, with Rei. Uh, it's also weird, because doesn't he one also have parts of uh, of, of the, the soul, of uh, or the spirit of uh, Shinji's mom and, and Gendo? Well, mom? it's time to talk about what the Avas are. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. Yeah, let's do it. This is what, what is the accident that led to the death of Shinji's mother. Well, she might not really be dead, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so in the first episode, you'll see Shinji... Oh, wait, what do you mean? If you're listening to this, you've seen it. Shin, Shinji controls Unit 1. Like, its hand goes out and, like, rescues him from a falling piece of debris. Yeah. Well, they're, they're underground in this geofront, right? Yeah. That's where they're keeping everything because it's, like, super secure, highly armored geofront. Yeah. And the angels basically almost... Every angel is attacking this geofront. Yeah, which um, explains a lot because you're like a big question for a lot of people who watch this series, especially the first fifteen, is why the hell is it there's just one city that keeps getting attacked when it's a global issue? And the actually the only other time off the top of my head I can remember an angel like appears 
uh, to be targeting something else, it's because there's this ship with a particular cargo on it. Yes. The remains of another dead angel, actually. Yes. That it's trying to get. And then they bring those remains to the Geofront. So, yes. of course, all the other angels are, are just going the to the Geofront. <laughs> but here's the thing. What, 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 what's so special? What do they have in the Geofront? Um, or should we not go that far yet? Uh, we're, we're trying to describe what the angels really are, right? Well, what the angels really are is... Um, well, we're, we're, we're going to start with what the Avas are. And the Avas aren't really robots not because they are organic. Yes. They're armored. They appear to be robots. And then the armor turns out to be restraints to hold them and control them. Yep. Because they're actually... The Avas are actually manufactured angels that yep. are created from the remains of one of the angels. Yep. Because it's humanity. I mean, this doesn't... I guess it's, it's not that surprising to me, because it's like, yeah. Luckily, the Avas don't have their own souls. Yes. Yet. Yes, <laughs> they don't. Um, it's not actually clear what the soul is in Evangelion. I guess it's just sort of assumed to exist. But um, you, I guess you could say that there's it's an element of human consciousness. Which it would explain the humans being the... They're, you know, being able to drive the angels. Right. Or right. The, the Avas, yeah. Yeah. And the, the thing about all the Avas, except Unit Zero, I'm not actually sure what's in Unit Zero. Unit Zero's weird, but um, then it's piloted, piloted by Ray, so... So maybe she doesn't need a soul in there. <laughs> I don't... Well, well we, the, that's, that's yeah. the thing. Um, the accident that claims Shinji's mother is that she was acting as a test pilot for Ava Unit 1 and was wholly bodily absorbed by it. Yes. So the reason that it protects Shinji and comes to life on its own occasionally is because... Um, it's his mom. Yui Ikari is in and part of Ava Unit 1. Yes. That's why he's selected as the pilot for Absolutely, it. and it's very edible. <laughs> Literally, the son is inside of his mother. Yes. Oh, and the, that's the other thing we have in, in psychology is the idea of the return to the womb. Yeah. Because the, the cockpit... And that's in, like, the abdomen of the robot, yep. isn't it? Yep. So it's, it's all crazy twisted, but it, the, it's interrelated. The cockpit's inside, and in order to operate the Ava, the cockpit has to be flooded with this solution called LCL. Oh, God. I don't remember what that stands for, but the characters kind of point out it smells like blood early on. Yeah. And it's essentially amniotic fluid. Yeah. Yeah. Made from? Well, it's the... Pri it's, um... What was it made from again? Do you not remember? It's fucked up. Well, I know it's it's supposed to simulate like when they get down to it near the end of the series and all the LCL. Yeah, it's supposed to be simulating like the primordial soup from which life arose. Yes, but I don't remember what it's actually made from. It's made from dead ray clones. Oh, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That, yeah. Also, we have clones of Shinji's mom that are <laughs> broken down to make and used amniotic as... fluid. Exactly. <laughs> and like people are like, "Why do you like this series so much?" It's like, trust me, the first fifteen, yes, standard robot. Mm -hmm. The second half. They get into these weird, twisted things, and it's all, you know, mom and... Oh, broke the mold. Yeah, really. Uh, um, so, yeah, dead ray clones. So, um, <laughs> yeah. Um, so, okay, let's talk about the Oedipal Complex a little bit. Ian yes. Freud's idea of the Oedipal Complex. Uh, if anyone here has read the story of Oedipus, it is about this man in ancient Greece who is basically prophesied to this horrible fate of debauchery where he kills his father and marries his mother. Yeah. And, like, I guess his, his parents 
got this got the prophecy, so they dumped him off in the mountains somewhere, but he ended up being rescued and defeated the Sphinx and went to whatever city state that was and became king because but he, he it turns out this pers this this offensive person he murdered on the road one day was actually his dad who turned out to be the former king of this place and he's the per the woman the queen he married turned out to be his mom blah 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 and so freud took freud was i don't know he really loved this piece for some reason yeah because it resonated with him but i won't talk too much about freud's background here <laughs> okay <laughs> he took this idea and and turned it into this complex which he said describes this this early developmental life of every human being where they um essentially want to kill their fathers so that they can have their moms all to themselves yes and like i said it's not inherently sexual but it's because it's it's focused around erogenous ideas and your own pleasure it's it informs the sexual theory and potentially aspects of your later sexual life yeah but that's something I didn't touch on, but I think part of part of what Freud was trying to do was also explain every kind of perversion. We have no comment for that. <laughs> <laughs> well, he might, I think he was overambitious. Um, that, that's one way of phrasing it. <laughs> so, and this, okay, yeah, and, and so we go into the... Uh, <laughs> We go, we go into into Evangelion, and it's like, okay, Shinji's mom is technically inside Ava Unit Zero One as mm -hmm. as as its mind, essentially. Yeah. And as we learn later, um, Asuka's mother is also dead. Yeah, uh, and that's, I think that's one of the reasons that Shinji and Asuka get along very well. But mm. uh, do you want to talk about the suicide and whatnot, Asuka? Um, Asuka's. I just say histrionic. Her histrionic presentation, her her narcissism, her her desire for all this attention. Mm -hmm. She's she's always trying to get. There's this guy Kaji, um, who works for Nerve. Like yes. he's she's like deep inside of it. Yeah. At the same time. Well, because because he it's, is to her what um uh Misato, Misato was to mm -hmm. Shinji. Yeah. And you'll see it like early in the episode. She's she's always trying to get this guy's attention, and despite the fact that he's easily ten years her senior, she's always expressing her affection for him, which is kind of like Oedipal in its own way, or if you prefer the Electra complex. But that's basically like it's Freud. the same thing except the gender reversed. Yeah, yeah, and that was Freud kind of admitted he he always had trouble. Pr pretty much out women, every but. romantic entanglement in this series delves into the Oedipal or Electra complexes if you think about it, because even uh, Misato. Her, her relationship. Oh yeah, with... definitely. We go there. Um, Misato is one of Nerve's like top agents, I guess. Mm -hmm. She's she's kind of Shinji's handler, I guess is the best way to put it. And, which she kind of um, volunteered for, isn't that right? Yeah, because she felt bad for the kid. Yeah. Um, well, they kind of have something in common there too, because it turns out she she hated her father, mm -hmm. who essentially abandoned the family for his work. Yep. Isn't that right? But then she ended up dating him. This uh, Kaji. Who reminded her of her dad? Exactly. That comes up a lot. Comes up uh, the um, first time they sleep together. Apparently, I just watched that episode and I'm like, "That's weird." <laughs> <laughs> you remind me of dad. That's why a lot of the I stuff comes up in the second half. By the way, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Mostly, it's the second go. half gets a lot denser with this material. Yeah, um, it's almost like the first half is still just introducing everybody. Basically, um, but yeah. Um, so, so there's her Oedipal thing. Is um, she hates. She she hated dad, but she wants to get with dad. So there's kind of, or rather, I guess I guess when it comes down to it, um, 
she's she's angry with dad not just for abandoning herself and mom but also because she wanted more attention from him and guess what she goes to work with him as a scientist under his command until second impact happens and he gets he gets killed off yeah um second impact by the way is when they kind of accidentally awakened one of the angels and vaporized antarctica <laughs> Yeah, which <laughs> is pretty that's funny. That's the natural design. And the the story that's told across the planet was that there was a second meteor impact, and that's why it's called Second Impact. But it was actually... It's, it was actually humanity screwing around so, with something they shouldn't have. I mean, that's that's pretty much this whole series. Is all the bad stuff is not the angels that we think that we think are the problem. It's really just people being assholes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll get to Gendo, don't worry. We'll get to Gendo. Gendo is the Gendo's only, the critical... It feels like he's the only character, even though there's a part near the end that makes you want to feel bad for him, he's the only one who actually doesn't get redeemed. Well, because he's kind of the villain when you break down the entire oh, yeah. story. Yeah, he ends up being what? the villain, and... Shinji's um, dad is the bad guy, guys. Oh, wait, you know this. You're listening to this because you read the... You know, we're just breaking well, down well, the technical I would hope parts. if you haven't watched the series and you're just listening because you're interested, um... Too bad? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right, so we, we off-tracked a little bit. Um, what were we talking about? We were talking about Oedipal Complex and its relationship to the series. Yeah. Um, and then Asuka's mom, right? And suicide? Yeah. Asuka's... Asuka's... Um, I don't remember. I don't remember exactly what we know about Asuka's father. Didn't the mother remarry? And then it's this is all told very briefly. Yeah. In yeah. in like a brief flashback, because to Asuka, her mother is her world. Her father doesn't really seem to have much of a place. Although, if you think about it, she's doing what Misato did in her attempts to court Kaji, mm-hmm. um, who, to his credit, despite being kind of a philanderer yeah <laughs> he uh he doesn't lay a finger on oscar <laughs> yeah which is res- respectable but still kind of awkward i feel like that's one of the hard t- things to talk about in this series because this took place in like 95 is that when it came out well it came out like the 90s ish it was it was the mid to later 90s yeah but like a lot of the sexual issues of the story which are essential to it totally are not acceptable by today's standards <laughs> especially with everything going on well you would uh, think that but again it's this it's like basically this little girl entering adolescence and having a crush and that's not an odd thing and kaji does not he does not reciprocate yes but she's always but, she's always trying to get his attention and yeah the thing that happened with the mom and i forget exactly what led to the mother's breakdown i don't know what her exact involvement with nerve was and if that was related to it but the mom basically got like super depressed mm-hmm. partly psychotic yeah. she was like playing with this doll all the time and and it's like the doll became her replacement for Asuka, despite the fact that Asuka's right there yeah. trying to get mom's attention. So she loses mom's attention during this critical period of mm-hmm. like her Oedipal development. Yeah. Um, and her entire life then is spent trying to get people's attention. So she'll come across extremely histrionic, extremely yeah. narcissistic. Like she talks about how angry she is with Shinji, how much of a pathetic loser he is. But then you watch like all of her behavior is like, hey, look at me. Like, yeah. Shinji, watch me take this dive. Shinji, watch me do this. Yeah. And it's like all, and, and like. 
Well, she hates the attention Shinji gets as well, because he's just naturally gifted in piloting an Ava. But mm. we know that it's not a natural gift. Like, yeah, you find yeah. out, of course, again, it's mom. Um, yeah. But uh, it's it's strange, because they're, they're very opposites of each other, Shinji and yeah, yeah, The Evangelion units are basically mama bear. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but so, um, that's her, that's her trauma and that's like her, I guess in, if you want to look at it, that's her unresolved Oedipal dilemma. She never got that fulfillment, that attention. Yeah. So she does it seeking out constantly amongst mm. people. Yeah. Mm. Um, <clears throat> we, we kind of understand Shinji's, it's the dad issue and, uh, the whole reason Shinji's piloting is just because he wants his father's attention. Yes, but really, yes. I think Shinji's biggest issue is just connecting with anybody. Yes. And that's where the hedgehog's dilemma comes in. Oh, can you talk about that actually? Um, what's funny is I don't, in my, throughout my training, I haven't actually seen this mentioned too much. Okay. But to put it mildly, the hedgehog's dilemma is, is basically a metaphor for the idea that we as people have this inherent need for closeness with other people. But if we do that, it opens up, it opens ourselves up to being hurt by other people. Hence the hedgehog, or I think actually in places it's called the porcupine's dilemma, because yeah. these are animals that are covered in quills or covered in spines. And you have to like wonder, like, how do they, excuse me, how do they get close to each other? How do they get it on? How do they, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. When they're just going to hurt each other. Well, they have their ways. But the, the idea <laughs> is. The idea is um, we want to get close to each other. We want to have these relationships, but we're going to essentially hurt each other. How can we reconcile with that fact? And Shinji has it the worst out of everyone in the show because, um, I guess because he, he feels he was essentially abandoned by everybody and thinks um, that's another thing. When you're a kid, you will come up with all kinds of solutions to the problem of ab problems of abuse or abandonment that don't like make logical sense if you're like an adult looking in mm -hmm. but a kid needs to create an idea that he controls it somehow and so if he's being mistreated he'll see it as his fault and um uh uh so what shinji does is he, he says oh it's my fault because i'm not useful and this feeling which has never been addressed up to this point with him just comes back in full force when he's finally asked to do something by his father and he's struggling with all this anxiety about whether or not a he can do this crazy thing his father's suddenly asking him to do hey shinji pilot this giant robot and save the world <laughs> by the way we haven't talked in like 15 years yeah no that's true <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah oh um they have barely talked throughout his life, and it's like something like seven years since they spent time together. That's insane. It's it's ridiculous. Um, as we eventually find out, it's because Gendo is this messed up, insecure guy. Yeah, which we'll, is funny because we'll you think to, he's together, but we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll he puts time. he puts up this front of strength. Yeah, and we'll, we'll like, talk he, about he that. think he control he own he knows what he's doing and that he's operating the organization like very well, but. He secretly, you know, his his motivations are nefarious, and it's because of unresolved trauma. But yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> so yeah, sh the Shinji is is just um, so he's he's constantly in this when he's actually um, initially called in by his dad to to meet up at Nerve. He says um, I don't think he doesn't admit this until like a few episodes in at least but he, he says that he was originally going there because he wanted to tell his father off 
and uh, essentially end their relationship completely. And I don't know if he would ever actually have had the nerve to do it at that point. Pun yeah. intended. No, yeah, yeah, no. <laughs> but um, uh, he gets stuck in this conflict between uh, wanting his father's praise and hate wanting to hate his dad for that all the abandonment um, mm-hmm. that he suffered. Um, now Misato comes in and she starts to become like this mother figure to him. Yeah. Um. Which ends up being really weird on her part because it turns out she's just really lonely. <laughs> yeah, I mean, she she they they kind of fed off each other in that sense because mm. she she needed somebody and as did he, but although he was in denial of it, um, but that also led to a weird thing with their relationship. Mm. Um, because it's both the thing is he doesn't meet her until he's an adolescent either, yeah. so she becomes both a mother and a love object to him. Yeah, I mean love, love object. Like Not this love is object, a very Freud- like, love uh, object in a very Freudian sense. Yes, exactly. Because <laughs> she she is like the mother to him, but at the same time he's totally sexually attracted to her. But the worst part is that she throws things at him. To, yeah, like and and he, despite the fact that he is attracted to her, and I don't think that becomes obvious until we start to like see into his subconscious yeah. later on in the series that yeah. he definitely is attracted to her. He keeps that on the down low so hard. And she's the one struggling with the fact that she's basically attracted to him because she needs somebody to fill that hole in herself. Not her literal hole. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Oh, what's the age range of your audience? <laughs> it's it's adult, so don't worry about it. But it, it is really twisted, especially, cause in, especially in the end of Evangelion, because this is all speculation. It's like, oh, okay, yeah, she flirts with him on occasion, but she knows she's not supposed to cross that boundary. Mm. And at the end of Evangelion, the very, like, final moments, and I think the last scene between the two of them... Mm. Well, it's the last she... scene between herself and anyone. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. She actually kisses Shinji. Well, I mean, she knew she was about to die anyway. But she, I guess she was doing it also as motivation, because she needed him to pilot Unit 1, because they were literally everyone was going to die unless mm. Shinji finally manned up and did the, the, the job of being as the hero. So she kissed him goodbye right before she pretty much defended him to her death. Um... Which, is, which tells a lot about the, the nature of the relationship that was a lot more ambiguous since the beginning. And, I don't know, it, it, it's complicated. What do, you, what do you think? No, I think you're, you're on with that. Um, uh, and a lot of that, I think a lot of that is more her than him. Um, yeah. Because uh, of her unresolved... That's her unresolved Oedipal. Yeah. Is, uh, she didn't have daddy's... Or Electra complex, if you prefer. She didn't have daddy's love. Yeah. Um, because he was off being a distant person i guess he did had his own hedgehog's dilemma he didn't get he didn't get over mm-hmm. um <clears throat> we i guess we should talk about ray that's because that's ray's uh, issue is that she knows that she is manufactured oh, and yeah. thus she knows she's replaceable and feels unimportant and it turns out, I guess it turns out, you kind of have to interpret it this way. But to me, it felt like when she's talking with Gendo and smiling, which she barely does anywhere else, mm-hmm. uh, and, and, and seems to be like having any kind of relationship with this guy, it's because she wants to be considered important by him. Essentially, in a way like Shinji does. Shinji wants his praise. Shinji wants to be important. They get into yeah. a, an argument over it where he says, like, why would I want to have anything to do with a father like that, and she slaps him. Yeah. And it's it's kind of like... it. 
it's partly it's because she does have a different relationship with Gendo because he does see her as important, but to him it's because she's she's essentially a tool um, as a clone, but also as part of his ultimate plan to reunite yes. with his dead wife. Yeah, um, which is really fucked up because she's the remains of his dead wife. I don't know. It, the entire thing is really creepy. Well, that's oh, that has to do with like the angels. The angels. Um, they, yes, the angels exist as this monster for them to fight, but the angels are also, as a sense, metaphorical themselves for, like, um, what is it? Um. Is it creationism? The story of creation? Well, I mean, it's, it's, I wouldn't call it creationism. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, uh, they're, I mean, they're tied in with, I mean, they're tied in with the creation story. There's all this Judeo-Christian symbolism involved in the show that yes, is partly there to look cool. Let's let's admit it. It's partly there. To it's look there cool to look cool to yeah. a Japanese audience. It's like, oh, look at all this stuff. Yeah. Um, and uh, but it's also partly there because it fits with the ideas um, of the show. Like if uh, if. Um, human beings could essentially control their own method of creation. How would they go about it, and how would they resolve the problems inherent to having social relationships between each other? Yeah. Um, Gendo's ultimate plan is to reunite the bodies of the first two angels using himself and Rey as a medium. Which, again, it goes, again, it's it's creepy because he he wants to connect with his wife again through Ray, who's the younger version of his wife. I don't know. It's yeah. It's well, it's well, great. Well, but. essentially, what happens is um I guess not just humans, but actually all organisms. Well, the way I always saw it, it was literally the goal of instrumentality and mm. of the villains of the series, particularly Gendo, was they wanted to recreate the collective like unconscious basically and make everyone one being because that way you never have the hedgehogs dilemma you don't have problems with intimacy of getting close right, to somebody because right. we're all just one thing which is kind of the really weird message of the story and so shinji's journey is fascinating because it's it's the ability to individuate and to kind of become your own person Re and well i guess too much spoilers but at this point we're not spoilers anyway kind of rejecting the idea of the <laughs> collective yeah the collective uh, notion of the unconscious and becoming your own individual well self. it's more like um making everyone's consciousness collectively available. Yeah. Because it's like everyone will know everyone else perfectly because now you're all molded, melded together into one being. And and the way they're trying to achieve this is they have the... Essentially, they have the corpses yeah. of the first two angels. Yes. And... Um, Wait, 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 and Adam and, well, okay. and Lilith? So let's... No. Yes, it's Adam and Lilith. Thank you. Because yeah. um, those unfamiliar in... in uh, in a certain Jewish folklore, um, there is this idea that before Eve, Adam had another wife named Lilith, and she wouldn't, I don't know, some, some say it's because she wouldn't prostrate herself before him, like she wouldn't treat him as her superior, that yeah. she ended up being like thrown out of the Garden of Eden. Mm -hmm. um, but for whatever reason that happened, she, she was like um, removed and Eve was created as her replacement. Uh, I don't, I don't know what sect that that is or where it comes from. But essentially, what happens is, um, uh, 
the this organization that this there's this other secret organization that Nerve works for called Sele. Um, and I, was it German? Because I think what it what it was is a the organization that's that built the Avas to fight the angels is called Nerve. Yes. The original organization that it branched off of was called Gehern, which means brain. So the nerves branched off of the brain, and Sele is the soul. Um, and Sele is the secret group of these old men who have some ancient mystic knowledge, and they're trying to bring about instrumentality. And what is mm-hmm. instrumentality? It is instrumentality essentially means to making use of something, using something as a tool. Yeah. So the human instrumentality project is essentially about. Um, actually, I, I guess is is it's either about. Um, the create the use of all human beings as a tool, or the use of everything as a tool for human beings to achieve yeah. this the one ascendancy. collective conscience. Yeah. yeah. The only reason that they didn't get along with uh, Gendo's plan was because Gendo wanted it to be him and his wife that were the units right. that merged, right. and they were like, "No, we don't. We don't want that. We want the thing, but we don't want you to be the reason for it." Yeah, you know, they basically. didn't want him to control it. So yeah. as the series progresses, you see more and more conflict blooming between Nerve and Sele yeah. about who uh, is really in control of this project and what they want to get out of it. And yeah, near the end, they even create their own ray in the form of this guy Kawaru, yeah. who's, who ends up being the last angel. Yeah, um, yeah. As predicted in the Dead Sea Scrolls. Yes, so tying it all all together. And that's the thing, they have these Dead Sea Scrolls, which is how they learned about the original Adam and Lilith, who were like the first two angels, who like bore the others, I guess. And it turns out, I want to say it's not just humanity, because I think they say something about like all life on Earth being transformed, but um, essentially humanity is revealed to be the last angel, and this is the form it took mm-hmm. of having all these distinct bodies and propagating itself. Yeah. Um, and the idea is that we can, using instrumentality, using Adam and Lilith, that the, their powers, we can like return humanity to the state of essentially lcl the yeah the uh um, the goo the liquid goo the, the primordial fluid, fluid yeah it's the amniotic yeah, yeah the, from which all of us were born it's like they're the womb of the earth yes. <laughs> we're all born from um which in a weird way you couldn't even interpret it as like the god basically yeah the first yes yeah. yes i mean it's all kind of a re- it's a re- recreation of the the creation story because you have adam and lilith Humanity being the last of the children. I mean, that's one of the reasons I love this and series in this so much. Universe, they're crazy eldritch abominations. Yeah, so it's, right? like a, it's a sci-fi version of the creation story yeah. that these ridiculous scientists figured out how to take advantage of for their ridiculous purposes. Because they're human, and we know how we are. Let's be <laughs> realistic. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> even even the seals, uh, Sele's attack on uh, Nerve towards the end of it. They just they were basically just trying to kill all of nerve and you know make instrumentality their own because <laughs> why because they don't they didn't agree with fucking gendo even though they all kind of had the same goal in mind i mean it's just it's it comes back to this idea that humans are kind of shady people so is it really that bad of an idea mm-hmm. to combine us all into one being where the conflicts would no longer be an issue or we can actually get close and intimate if you if you already understand each other perfectly then there's no there's no misunderstanding by which you can create conflict absolutely which is why shinji's journey is a fucking mind trip because 
Uh, should I get to, should we get to the end now? No, not quite yet. Bef- um, th- right. There's uh, there are a couple other things we want to I want to touch on before that. Um, right. we'll touch that on that one last. Uh, we have kind of been jumping around. This isn't the most organized, so I guess I'll just get to it now. Yeah, that's um, fine. The idea of the id ego and super ego. Go for it. That um, I haven't. I've purposely avoided reading other people's theories about this stuff. But I remember way back in the day, uh, reading like a decade ago. Is mm-hmm. that way back? <laughs> that that is way back now. We're, um, we're both officially old. <laughs> we were both watching this in college. Yeah. Um, the idea that one or more character triangles represent Freud's idea of the id, ego, and superego. And now you're going to ask me what those are. And yeah. For those who are unfamiliar, um, basically the id is... Uh, the id is the one... It's The id, ego, and superego are basically your mental structures. When, when you're growing and developing, this is how your mind forms. It forms these structures that have a give and take, a back and forth, conflicts, if you will, between one another that need to be resolved in order to retain your mental health. The id is your most basic one. This is your animal instincts. You want food, you go get food. You want sex, you go get sex. Mm-hmm. The id just wants your basic needs met. Um, and as you grow, your ego develops. And the ego is more of your conscious way of living. Um, the ego tries to balance out the needs of the id with your physical, biological, and social realities. Um, and the superego is called that because the ego basically takes a lot of orders from it. And the superego is the one, they're all considered, I guess they're all considered naturally developed, but the superego is the one that's most dependent on your socialization to develop. Mm -hmm. It's the one that's most dependent on your parents. You internalize your parents' values. You... Um, you internalize the laws of your country, or you don't. Maybe you fight against them. You internalize um, all kinds of like rules and prohibitions and religious sensibilities and whatnot. And so it's your super ego telling you what you can and can't do, what must be done, what should be done, etc., etc. And um, so the ego is always kind of looking, is, is always kind of operating under the super ego as this this punitive or or commanding figure while also trying to do its best to fulfill the id and that's that's um essentially like um the the ego is the the way you balance these forces to operate in the world Mm -hmm. uh and so there have been all these theories about the freudian content in evangelion and which characters character triangles might represent id ego superego etc i actually feel like um, I mean, we can keep making arguments about it, but uh, I actually think that this is best symbolized in one character, and that's Ritsko's mom. We didn't talk about Ritsko at all yet. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, Ritsko is like the head scientist researcher at NERV, uh, Akagi Ritsko, and she um, uh, runs the computer programs that control the Evangelion units, and these programs are part of a, a revolutionary computer system that was developed by her mother. <sighs> oh, God. More stuff like that. Yeah. And and uh, and you will at times hear her refer to these. They're, they're, the computer systems are called the Magi because we need our religious yes. stuff in there. Yes. And they're actually named like 
uh, Casper, Balthazar, and Melchior. Yep. But um, the the three computer systems also exist in this uh, triangular configuration where they're also um, all slightly different from each other. Mm-hmm. And so when they're told to run simulations or figure out like solutions to problems, each computer has a slightly different approach so that they're able to like provide these checks and balances to each other. Yeah. And um, I don't remember her name, but um, Naoko, that's it. Mm -hmm. I was just reading about that. Naoko Akagi developed these computers. Um, She described them to her daughter as representing parts of herself as a uh, mother, as a scientist, and as a woman. And um, Kaspar actually ends up being the most important uh, narratively because of the way it handles two of the major situations presented late in the show. Um, and that is the computer that is herself as a woman. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, maybe due to lack of information, I haven't exactly decided which the other two are. One of them is the ego. One of them is the super ego. But herself as a woman is definitely the id, in my opinion, because of what comes up during the movie. Um, do you want to summarize that part? You can, because uh, Rusty... Um, well, let's say Ritsko has, uh, Oedipal problems of her own. As everyone else does, but yeah. Uh, like her mother, she gets involved with Gendo, like, romantically. But, again, she is essentially just a tool to him, even though she wants more. Um, and like her mother, she actually gets into conflict with these Ray clones. Yeah. Yeah, like, the first Ray... Um, Ritsuko's mother readily identified her as looking like Yui, as looking like Shinji's mom. Mm-hmm. And this Ray, in a very Oedipal sense, you mm-hmm. could say, um, she was a little more outspoken than the later Rays. She uh, actually confronted um, Naoko, head scientist Naoko, Ritsuko's mom, and called her like names and told her that Gendo doesn't really care about her and that he says she's an old bag and you could kind of see that you know, looking at it Oedipally it's kind of like oh I'm eliminating the mom so I can have the love of dad Yeah. and at the same time Naoko is so threatened by it that she retaliates and actually kills this first Ray yeah um, and then I'm not sure it's, it's not uh, made clear but she either then kills herself or um, when she realizes that she gave in to her id yeah. <laughs> she, uh, she either kills herself or she is killed um, but she left behind the computer to essentially operate as her soul. That's also what the Avas have in them, which yes. is why they can like contain the mental images of the mothers. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and so Ritsko, head scientist, now head scientist Ritsko, because her mom's gone, um, talks to the computers as though they are her mom at times. This is how she describes it there. Um, and, uh, there's this she, but she becomes like her mother too, where she has this um, her Oedipal problems come back, and she realizes that she can't get what the love that she wants from Gendo. He's he's a bad father figure, and so she's going to to kill him and destroy all of Nerve in the process. And she programs the computers to like go like like blow themselves up on her signal, mm-hmm. and they don't do it. And when she she looks to find out why, it's because Caspar 
the the woman that her mother was was like nope yeah <laughs> and reese goes reese goes determine uh, determines this as her mother uh turning on her you chose your lover over your daughter yeah and, and then gendo shoots her um but essentially to me that's like <laughs> that's the id because the id is like um sorry i'm giving into my desires here yeah 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 that was brilliant dude no. I will mention, though, uh, from all the examples you just mentioned, there's a lot of trinities, it seems. Yeah, yeah. Well, we have, of course, we have the pilots. We talked a little bit about them already. Are yep. they id ego, super ego? Possibly. I think, I think most people would claim that um, that Asuka's the id. Oh, yeah, hands case. down, because she's just pure energy and she's, just spinning out. What and she... she's pure energy, pure emotion. Just, yeah. She's, she's um, well, she, she wears her... Okay, I can't say she wears her heart on her sleeve, because she is guarded about... Yeah. Um, what about uh? But but she's pure reactivity. Absolutely. Um, she has almost no filter when it comes to to how she thinks or feels about things, and like her aggression. Well, because she was you know so emotionally wounded as a kid, her aggression is just flying all out everywhere. Yeah. She she doesn't have the ego's not controlling it. The super ego doesn't have a, a hold on her. She's just she's just pouring it out. Yeah. Um. I almost, I almost want to say Shinji's the more balanced one out of all of them just because Rei is so yeah. withdrawn. But Shinji also has a lot of... Yeah. I guess I guess Shinji must be the ego, but he's an ego with such intense conflict going on that it's paralyzing to him. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I agree with that. I was actually going to say Shinji, I think, is ego as well. Uh, uh, Especially because he doesn't seem to have any sort of control mm-hmm. he, he's just constantly hiding within and being dictated by the other two mm-hmm. yeah oh and he lets everyone run his life it's like that's how he keeps at, yeah. that's how he keeps from being a, a problem is he just lets everyone else make decisions for him yep which like pisses off misato so much pisses off a lot of fans she has, too. you know yeah. the thing about i realized about misato um as a mother figure, is she had so much potential to do a better job and just couldn't go through with it. Yeah. Because she, like, she makes all these comments to herself about Shinji, but she's very hands-off in actually helping him. Yes. Um, and I don't know if that's because it's her own vulnerability, her own neediness that she's just holding back. Um, but, um, yeah, she, she had a lot of potential there to help him with, like, some insight and stuff, and, but instead, when she does try to interact with him around his problems, she ends up being angry. Yeah. And calling him selfish, and part of that is, I think part of that is the Japanese understanding of things. Yeah. Um, because, uh, I don't know how controversial this is going to turn out to be, but, um... I think what you find with, with people who have such deep issues and who are in treatment for a long time is when they kind of start to wake up out of it, they do, part of it is that they do realize um, how much their own behavior is a part of the problem. And it's like, uh, I I can't blame them because these are the ways that they adapt to their own social difficulties. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but when they start to kind of develop more of a sense of responsibility and control over their own life, then they start to say, oh, hey, I was doing this, and it was such a problem, and I can't believe I did push all those people away and and stuff like that. But but it, it also comes with this uh, sense of new empowerment to it. Like, oh, I understand my life better now, and I feel like I can control my life better now. It's, there's sort of this acceptance of responsibility that comes with, with this development. Hmm. Um, and I like to think that's where Shinji got by the end of it, though. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, should we? When, when instrumentality actually happens. Yeah. Should we talk about that um, now? Since I think how long are we, we might as well because we've been We're talking. One ten. Yeah. We're at seventy minutes. We might as well. So basically, instrumentality happens, but it doesn't happen the way anyone who planned it necessarily planned it. Yeah. Um, in the end, Ray rejects Gendo. Also. Yes. Um, he okay. So because he tried to force himself on the Adam representation. He, he bonded the remains of Adam to himself. Yes. And Ray is like partially constructed out of Yui, but she's partially constructed out of Lilith. Yeah. And he's supposed to bond with Ray so that they can bond with Lilith, and then he controls instrumentality. And by bonding, we mean very sex, very sex. Yes. Sexy time. <laughs> not not really, but it is. Kind no, they, of they were not actually going. It. They were not actually going to have sex, but the idea was that the idea the the merger was going to happen, and that's symbolically yes. sexual. Anyway. Yes. Besides. His idea is to to reunite with Yui, uh, who is his lover, and he had a lot. Like he had a lot of problems himself. Yui was the one person he felt close to. Yeah, and he was, well, and he never let it go or got over it or learned to adapt and move yeah, on. Yeah. And because of that, he pretty much created all this crazy shit that you see in this series. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but in the end, he's rejected, and um, yeah. I'm still. It's still not clear to me exactly what happened. Either Ray took on the form of Unit One, or Yui took on the form of Unit One, but they bite him in half. Yeah. So he ends up being rejected. By... Even the other characters who get killed, it seems, return to LCL. I think he's the only one that doesn't. Yeah. So he's the one character who's like eventually uh, essentially seen by the show as irredeemable and doesn't get to rejoin everyone to in be honest i'm highly i think it's highly uh there's a very it's, good it's, chance it's it's ray given the fucked up shit that she's had to put up with him yeah for years. Yeah, well she, ray, ray ray totally rejects him at yeah. the end there yeah she's like he like he tries to merge with her adam is in his hand he puts his hand inside ray and she basically just takes his hand yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's true like, nope yeah. this is the only part i need yeah <laughs> but i mean I'm going to shinji also, now it also it feels good because honestly you feel bad because she's literally just been this tool this, this, this and i meant to mention to that earlier when we were talking about ray because like she tries she tried to have this relationship with gendo but then she gets some of it also with shinji shinji treats her as though she's important shinji tries to help her to smile and have yeah. an emotional world and yeah. and he interacts with her in ways that nobody else does and makes her feel like she's a person mm-hmm. so in the end she realizes Gendo doesn't really do these things yeah. Shinji is the person who treated her like she's an authentic life form yeah. uh, real human thoughts and feelings so she goes to him in the end and Shinji ends up being the one to decide humanity's fate yeah. through instrumentality which makes sense because she very much respects him because of that. Also, maybe it's a little bit of the mom in her. Who knows? Uh, maybe. Why don't you talk? Because I know both of us... Uh, well, let's say this. Um, the Evangelion movie, End of Evangelion, is split in half. 
Yes. It, it treats itself as an alternative take on episodes 25 and 26. Mm-hmm. But I know we're both of the camp that... It happens um, synonymously. Yes. Yeah. That they happen synonymously, that they're not separate things, and that, I guess, is debatable. I'm sure there are people out there with their <laughs> thoughts and their evidence. The, the but, people who are uh, purists who are angry about it uh, as, basically as, just wanted like a real ending, per se, for episodes 25 and 26. But if you look at those last two episodes, they take place within... Within the, instrumentality. Within instrumentality, and, uh, exactly. The episode summaries on Netflix even state that. Instrumentality has begun, and Shinji is blah, blah, blah. and Yeah. It's like they're because they're entirely within essentially they're entirely within Shinji's consciousness. Yeah. All right. It wasn't Shinji's consciousness. I thought it was just the collective. At that well, it's point. the collective. Yeah. But we yeah. we do still see things from, from the his viewpoint. His of Shinji viewpoint. Here. Exactly. And yeah. maybe maybe that's because they're still maybe they're still determining whether or not to merge or yeah. I or think it's because, that's exactly what I thought. Or it was, maybe actually. it's because of his. Oh, we didn't talk about the AT field. Let's get that on that real quick. Okay. Uh, the, there's it. there is this um, one of the prime defense and attack mechanisms of the angels and the avas is this thing called the AT field. This crazy science fiction concept that is a force field. It turns out isn't necessarily a science fiction. Well, I guess it is, but it's it is literally the manifestation of the desire of for separation. Yes. The angels have an AT field because they are essentially distinct from all other life forms. Yes. And the Avas have an AT field because they're manifesting the hedgehog's dilemma that their pilots possess. Exactly. And that's (laughs) huge. For people who've heard me talk about this, this is so critical to the series. It's literally the defense and weapon for everything that you see going on. And it explains a lot about what's happening. Actually, what does the AT mean? Uh, all terror? No, it's yeah, yeah. But essentially, it's um, if you you only see it, see like in the um, like really fast. It goes by really fast, like during the opening, maybe maybe once or twice during the episodes that the t- the name will flash by. But it is called the absolute terror field. There you go. And the absolute terror field is the fear of intimacy. Yes. Made manifest. Yes. The angels are using it to keep you out. You're an invasive force. Yes. <laughs> and they use theirs to penetrate the AT fields of the angels. Yes. And um, instrumentality is the undoing of all AT fields in existence. Yes. No defense mechanisms which, all being Which is game. why we all lose our form and turn into the LCL goop. High five. <laughs> John and I love that about this series. Because uh, it's literally these ideas made manifest, which is good. fucking cool. Um, Alright, but Shinji gets the choice at the end. What, yes. what is this Shinji's epic choice? The choice is ultimately, you know, re- remain in this collective form or return to being distinct life forms who will forever repeat this dilemma. Yeah. Um, and at the end, Shinji chooses to return to being a life form. Yes. At the very least, we know he and Asuka survived this whole thing. Well, that's complicated, too. Because Asuka <laughs> has a crazy ending at the end of Evangelion. Uh, very mentally broken and... Uh, <sighs> scarred from her experiences of rejection and trying to save the day towards the end but then trying well she's also trying to be an important person yes yes we all that's those are our narcissistic needs yes we all need to feel like we're an important person to somebody yeah um i'm trying to remember Uh, some of us really overinflate that and go into politics Uh, so she, she, doesn't she die at some point? <laughs> or she sacrifices herself fighting all the extra Avas. Yes. The, the, and 
the, I, I don't think know. she actually dies, but she comes so close. Yeah. She comes so close. Yeah. But for some reason, she... I think she gets put in, like, the lake or something, right? To keep her alive by uh, Masato or something? Something along the lines of that? She was trying to preserve her, basically, in some short, some sort of form. Um... That I can't tell you. I don't know how she got where she got at the end. Um, well, the point is, is she also Mi- survived. Misato tried to protect her from Sele's attack by yes. putting her in the Ava unit. Yes, that's what I meant. But then the <laughs> Ava unit got sh- shipped out or whatever to avoid getting destroyed as well. But then uh, when instrumentality came, she also apparently chose to reject it, which is kind of a big deal because her and Shinji have been on similar journeys, but from opposite perspectives. And given their personality traits, that makes absolute sense. But um, because it's her at the end with Shinji, I guess we have to talk about the controversial choke scene. Like, uh, what do you see as controversial about it? Well, at that point, her and, and Shinji wake up, and the world is, you know, basically over. Everybody's LCL goop except the two of them. And his first reaction is to choke her. Mm-hmm. And many people have... A lot of ideas, or are uncertain as to why. Oh, yeah, so why did Shinji do that? I don't know, it's up to the interpretation, but the way I saw it was two, one of two ways. One, this is bullshit that this isn't really happening, and, like, keep in mind, he just regrained his individual form. Her being there is, like, beyond him. Uh, so he's choking it out because he doesn't really believe in it, but another part of it is just guilt. Because at the very beginning of the end of Evangelion... Uh, Keep in mind, all the pilots are psychologically traumatized at this point in the story. Uh, Shinji tries to get Asuka's attention, but she's unconscious and basically in a coma. And he uh, he masturbates mm. to seeing her partially undressed boobies. Which is very fucking awkward, because again, 14-year-old kids. and and But immediately after, he's just like, I hate myself. Which is a recurring theme for Shinji, and this kind of just brought it up to that full extent. Which is why having him at this point in time choose this decision of instrumentality or not was pretty big. But, uh, going back to the choking, it could also be that he just he just felt really shitty. It's just like, this is this horrible reminder of what I had done. I don't know. Uh, again, multiple interpretations what, what did you think john um at first i didn't know what to think and having just rewatched this after like 10 years yeah um there was something off about their interaction yeah very off and um they i mean the way in which they related throughout the series has primarily been through aggression mm-hmm um, but there's also moments of sweetness often, and intimacy. Oh, well, often spurned on by Asuka um, because of her huge, hugely defensive. This is the way she's she's um, operating her defensiveness is to be the one who aggresses against others. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically, they're on this beach at the end. As far as we know, the only two people alive. Though yeah. I expect, I expect there are many others. That's the implication, um, but we don't know. Yeah, we don't know. It's not confirmed. Mm-hmm. And um, they're just lying there, and uh, she's still in her plug suit. And yeah. Is, she's unresponsive. And he had... Um, he had attempted to choke her earlier in, in, like, in the unconscious. Yeah. While, like, all... Th- th- it was, like... I guess inside of all of his his memories and projections and such, um, 
uh, and so they're on this beach, and she's unresponsive, and he starts trying to choke, basically trying to choke her to death while she's lying there doing nothing. And then after a few seconds, like, she looks at him, and she puts up her hand and touches his face. Yeah. In this very um, gentle way, very, um, in a way that you, you would not, um, just very unexpected of her, and he stops... And he's crying on her. And she says something like, you're so pathetic. Yeah. Which just gets them back to ground zero from the nature of their relationship. Which Shinji probably loved. Because yeah. What was so weird to me about it was just the whole way that this was done. Um, um, and and the, the confu- what's confusing about this aggression or pseudo-aggression between them at the very end is... Um, to me it seemed like he was now he's you know separate distinct from people again essentially alone yeah he needs the response he needs somebody to be there and and he's trying to get her attention with this aggression with this strangling yeah um there are other ways to get attention but yeah the way that they have been fighting throughout the series this whole time, I think he was desperate to see if he could get her to do something. Yeah, especially because he needed her so badly at the beginning of this movie again. And now she also has come to to some kind of some kind of resolution as to some of her own internal conflicts that she doesn't need to aggress back anymore. Yeah. I, here's the weird part about all this, too, is if if instrumentality did happen and they're the only two to have rejected it, they're literally the first to... So now they can be Adam and Lilith. They can be (laughs) Adam and Lilith, exactly. I mean, joking aside, yes. Again, it comes back full circle with the creation story. Ugh. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Evangelion. This is... Well, what so, so, yeah, so I think that Misato's the ego, Ritsuko is (laughs) the super ego, and Kaji is the id. Oh, for their trio? I can see that. Yeah. 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 And that's because Misato is trying to balance things between them in her own life, whereas Kaji, at least toward her, Kaji's the it. He's a lot more controlled in other areas of his life, he but is, he's yeah. like, in relation to her, he's like, fulfill my needs, baby. Oh my god. <laughs> and Ritsuko's the one who kind of looks down on them for their relationships and stuff. Yeah. Uh, but you guys can interpret this all your own way. That's what's great about the series. It's left very ambiguous and very controversial, and yet it's one of the most famous, famous animes ever made. Uh, so do you do you individuate from others? Do you form your own your own consciousness? Or is it all about love, baby? Is about <laughs> collecting and being one and whole and letting down the defenses and letting everyone in quite literally by making yourself turn into goo. Um, I don't know. To be honest, if I was Shin, oh, I don't want to say that because. There are times where I felt really close to Shinji. I was like, oh, yeah, I can see. Yeah. Mostly I, in the... I feel like I identify a lot with Shinji. I do, too. In the sense that, like, there's so many there's so many times. That's why you shouldn't be so angry at him. Let the other characters in the show do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For, I think it's just with Shinji. He's just, he has he's just bad a, enough. Yeah, yeah, he has a really rough, but then he's just... He always has to make these hard decisions, man. Mm. And he gets on the spot constantly. I think it's making these decisions that that is the only way we can move forward with our lives. So he essentially is the stand-in for all of us. 
I guess. But, like, everyone hated how much he won. The, the most common complaint about Shinji is he, he's a little bitch. And I'm like, you can't blame him, though. He didn't have a dad. He's constantly doing things for others. He's not a real person, basically. Which is funny, because he connects with Rei in that way. Because she's also literally not a real person. Um... Yeah, we we all we all have to become real people in our yeah. own ways. Yeah. Uh, all right. So Neon Genesis Evangelion. It's about self actualization and you know relationships and intimacy and psychological and trauma. learning to live with yourself despite everything that happens to you. That's the biggest theme of the series. So uh, highly recommend if you haven't seen it. And uh, yeah. Uh, final thoughts on Ava. Well, I guess um, yeah. I loved it, but if you're not, like, a thinker, you're not exposed to a lot of these ideas, I think it might be harder for you to take it in in the second half. Definitely. Um, because there's so much that kind of has to be thought through and interpreted. Um, and and especially in the movies, too. So you might, you might go into the movie and, like, watch the first half and be like, yeah, so much action and craziness, and then the second half, again, is, like, inside the mind. Yeah, you know, yeah. It takes a certain amount of like psychological sophistication. So don't don't be unhappy if you don't get it, because you'll get there if you keep thinking about it. And that's the great thing about today's culture is there's so many Wikipedia's and blog sites and ways to even the, this podcast even uh, ways to figure out like what you think it is and learn about it. And I think for me at least that's one of the beautiful things I found about Evangelion. Uh, <laughs> Uh, from a personal experience, uh, oddly enough, I jumped into the series on the second to last episode of the original run, mm. where it was all taking place. And that's, a, that's a very unusual place to start. It's an incredibly frustrating place to start, because I'm like, what the fuck did I just watch? And so <laughs> I I kind of... It, it, it seemed ridiculous, but given I was like 19 and kind of a confused kid myself at the time, I was like, it was ridiculous, but there are some things I could weirdly, oddly enough, connect to. So I actually gave it a shot from the beginning. And I, I never regretted it since, because it was a beautiful, beautiful film. Uh, or, actually, sorry, a beautiful series. Very beautiful films, and films that they're still releasing now, which is like a weird second interpretation of everything that's been happening. Yeah, there's a reboot where, the I guess, the creators aren't as depressed, so they don't put that quite as much of that into it. We don't know, because the, the last one's coming out next year. Only, and I only saw a couple of them anyway. Apparently it gets I darker. Know. I don't know if maybe Adult Swim wouldn't run the third one for whatever reason. <laughs> I'm, run it. I'm not sure. sure. I'm pretty sure it was... Well, I haven't I, I haven't had cable for a few years now, but ah. um, when I did, I was still watching Adult Swim slash Toonami, and they ran the first two like a year apart, and then the third one just didn't come up. Uh, maybe it has by now. I don't know. Yeah, but I, ima I imagine if it didn't, then it probably was too sketchy even for them in terms of content. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Ava, great series overall. Um, psychology and symbology and just religiosity. <laughs> yes, and I don't know. I, I, like, I think I think you'll identify with it a lot if you had sort of an Arrested Development type childhood. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. All right, and that's it. Uh, I've been—I'm uh, your host, Christian. You can follow me on theworkprint.com, where I write many articles and do these podcasts. Uh, XN underscore Angelus on Twitter and Instagram, and Christian Angelus on Facebook. Um, John, I would say, do you have anywhere people can follow you? But if not, then that's um, cool. I'll keep this separate from my work life. Huh? <laughs> do you have anything you want to say to the audience? Or? Um. 
give Evangelion a shot. <laughs> All right, cool. All right, uh, that's it for us guys. Of uh, yeah, you guys have a wonderful uh, week being yourselves and not part of the collective. <laughs> Take care.